0: We are here living the authentic life with Donna Chang, CEO, yes, female CEO of Hope Bioscience. And we do so much celebrating of women, but women in science, that's really amazing. And you are on a mission to revolutionize the field of cell therapy, which I know as stem cells. Same thing. Yep, and I asked you so, did you create the patented technology, or how did this company, Hope
1: Bioscience? Come about? Well, um, first, so happy to be here. It, this is the most uh, fashionable podcast I've ever been on. And we try. And I tried my best. No, uh, I tried t- t- rocking I- it. I, I want to tell you two days ago, I thought, I'm going to be on this podcast. What can I do? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go cut my bangs and so you see i've shown up here with bangs today oh, i would just like to tell yes. i think any woman yeah. will resonate. I said that earlier when you cut your hair it means you're ready for a new beginning. isn't that strange and and anyone i think any woman can resonate with this you you live with no bangs for like a decade and then you suddenly do this you feel so out of place so now I, I, like I just got way. a <laughs> little
0: bit cut this week and now it doesn't fit back in the pony and it keeps falling down i'm like what's that hair oh that's right i did this to myself. Well, Suki did it to me, but you are uh, always uh, fabulous. Isn't she? Yeah. Okay. Well, Bruno Cuccinelli <laughs> ever here, girl. I mean, really, let's just have a moment. So I, scientists uh, can be fashionable. Business
1: women can be fashionable. I love it. Oh, well, um, I'm again, honored to be here and I, um, yeah, the whole bio story really started from an, Just knowing that our bodies have these amazing cells. And the whole idea was not to reinvent it. Like, that's not what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. We we weren't looking to kind of come up with the next greatest treatment for any particular disease that wasn't the idea it was knowing and acknowledging the fact that our bodies are amazing they contain cells that heal us on a daily basis i mean if you think about the millions of interactions that happen between your cells on a daily basis the fact that we breathe without thinking about it all these mechanisms that mm-hmm. happen in our body happen on their own. And somehow our cells are managing all of it. So we have an amazing, uh, miraculous body to begin with. And when you talk about the, when you think about sort of how our bodies heal, for instance, you're in the kitchen, you're cutting your vegetables. Suddenly you cut your finger. What happens? Me, I should stay (laughs) in the kitchen with a knife. So when we cut ourselves, what's the first thing that happens? We bleed. Yes, And then you put a band aid on it, and then a couple of days later, you get a scab, and then some time goes by, and then it you, you don't even sometimes are not left even with a scar. And you'll notice that when you're younger, yes. that healed a lot quicker, and then the older we get, it healed a lot slower. But the fact is, our bodies are capable of doing that, right? Wow. So yes. our bodies are capable of mending themselves. So just like an outside cut the insides of our bodies are the same way. Like our hearts are gonna deteriorate over time, but why does it take 80 years to deteriorate? Because our bodies are constantly maintaining themselves. So anyway, there's something in your body that's capable of doing it. And now we know that most of the credit can be given to these amazing stem cells called mesenchymal stem cells and we all have them just when we're younger we just have more of them that's all so long story short these are the cells that we really like we call them mscs for short
0: the so, MSC, that was the Memorial Student Center at Texas A&M. Oh, okay. Where we would walk through and go get our lunches. Little Aggie whoop story right there. Yes. But anyway, go ahead. It's also a cruise line. Oh, really? <laughs> so when you Google it, like these
1: crazy it's things come like, up, <laughs> you're like, okay, right. didn't realize that. Funny you mentioned Google. If you were to Google mesenchymal stem cell, they're the most, most Googled stem cell on the planet now. Uh-huh. Um, and if you look at just within the last year even, it, so far there are over 80,000 papers written about mesenchymal stem cells. So more research is being poured into these cells than ever before. And it's because they're amazing. They can do so many different things. Not only can they become pretty much any cell, like just in that cut example, uh-huh. they become, they essentially travel to that bleeding area and then they'll become new skin. So they're like cells that have no identity. Body can tell them what to become so they can go become new heart tissue new brain cells new um, gums new cartilage like you name it they can become any one of those things so think about the potential of that amazing
0: and i think that takes so much of the mystery out of what is a stem cell because i think we're all like for some reason you've probably even said this to me or i've heard it before but i never thought of it as that simply we're just Giving you what your body always does,
1: yes, but more of it, and in its natural state. Like we don't want to
0: change it because you're not giving people other people's stem cells. What you're doing at Hope Bioscience is taking people's cells and growing them exponentially and giving them
1: back huge inductions. Yes, huge amounts. And so the the difference really is, where Hope Bio comes to play is sort of understanding that, okay, we all all can agree that these cells are amazing. Mm -hmm. However, whether they will be useful to treat a disease, let's say Parkinson's disease, mm-hmm. will mean that we're able to achieve a consistent efficacy across many different kinds of patients.
0: For instance. Yes, it, but it can be repeated. That's what I thought was so fascinating right. with what you're trying to do. You're trying to create something that
1: can be re- repeated on a mass level. And the repeatability of receiving cells means that if you have, let I use the example of Tylenol, like like your pay, typical pain, over-the-counter pain pills, right? Yes. They're, they don't come in, you buy a bottle, they're all the same pill. You know, right. they don't come in different, sizes or, yeah. or doses and so if you have a headache uh, you may take one if you have a more severe headache you may take two or three right See, that's a dose dependency you know that there is mm-hmm. a relationship between how much me- how much you get of something right. and what you're going to see that's been the disconnect in cell therapy so far that's what hope I was trying to solve how do we make this so that we can essentially not guarantee but more predict what an outcome will be like if you are to get this amount of cells this is what we can project is going to happen because up until now cell therapy wasn't like that it was sort of like well i don't know if you have a lot of stem cells but we can sure try you know it was sort of a a uh, just trial and error and so what happened was you saw a lot of patients say they did get better but you had just as many patients say that it didn't work And so you have two schools of thought in stem cell therapy as of today. You have those who think that it is a a miraculous, you know, this is going to change the world. And then you have half that say, well, never amount to anything because it can never be consistent. It doesn't work most of the time. So we wanted to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm.
0: And your your studies are giving different results than that second opinion. Your studies are mimicking the first outcome, which is there have been predictable results. That's shown. what we're trying to get to. That's but right. What you're seeing so far. Yes. Yeah. In so many different ways. Even and in so many different ages. Yep. You've worked with young kids to
1: even people in their eighties. Right. And and that has been, you know, that's the that that's the most rewarding part about all of this. It's you know, typically in clinical research and when you're dealing with Solving these sort of chronic degenerative diseases. You're Mm -hmm. always looking at well, older patients who have been sick for a long time, you know, they're typically Mm -hmm. not allowed to enter clinical trials. I mean, because they have so many other problems. You don't want to introduce those into your trial. Oh, right. Because then you're less likely
0: to cure them because they have so many
1: other Other challenges. Yeah. So
0: they will almost it's like adding me to your baseball team, you're gonna lower the average. Right, (laughs) because I can't hit a ball. Exactly why right. pick me? Yeah. So, so why
1: pick an old person for your study? So all of wow, those people so are normally sad. not included. Yeah. I
0: know.
1: But from a from a cell therapy standpoint point of view, they were also not included because they don't have a lot of stem cells running around their bodies anyway. So if you were to try and make them a medicine, it's not like you could make a Powerful medicine, but oh, with, because it needed more power, and and they would say, uh, uh, sort of early on in the in in stem cell research, they would say, okay, well, younger, healthier patients have a better rate of success. It's like, okay, well, well it's younger, because they have <laughs> more stem patients. cells, yeah, to begin with,
0: would too. normally recover yeah. quicker than an old, for example. Skiing, when I fall, it hurts a lot more than when a three-year-old calls.
1: Correct. That's, That's exactly. because they're much more bendy. Right. And so all of this to say, we wanted to, even the playing field, we wanted to make sure that an 80-year-old can get 100% potent dose as a 20-year-old. So everyone gets the same thing. But so you still get the measure. same amount. Yes. Yeah, same amount, same amount, because we're able to, what we are able to do is take whatever's in your body, whether it be a lot or whether it be a little and just find those healthy cells and then make billions of them. That's what we do. It's so incredible. And you were
0: doing it. And Sugarland, Texas, yes. whereas a lot of people are
1: flying around the world to go get it. How'd you get around that one? So in order to... Um, it's, a, it's Cell therapy in general, stem cell therapy, if you Google it, you'll see it in the United States, they say it's illegal. It's not true. It is legal uh, in that there are people that advertise cell therapies, but most of those are what you call same-day therapies. So they bypass a law that... Um, Essentially, it's a loophole in our law where uh, if you go to a plastic surgeon and you ask them to remove fat from a particular area in your body and move it to a different area in your body, this is called a fat transfer. Right. And essentially, when you f- transfer fat, there are stem cells, arguably, there are stem cells in that fat tissue. Okay. So, because of that, there is a, um, there's a clause where if it's happening under the same day or the same surgical session, it's not regulated by FDA. So the majority of what wow. you see here in the United States tricky, are these tricky. sort of same day procedures. Yes. Again, you know, I've seen pretty much everything. There are patients who will say, Oh, well, it really did help my knee. Okay. But mm-hmm. That is a little bit different than someone suffering from MS or Parkinson's, right? That Absolutely. The amount, if a patient mm-hmm. says they feel good, I, I, I believe them. And I think that perhaps you don't need a lot of cells to fix a small injury, so Mm -hmm. perhaps it is efficacious. But again, you know, future of cell therapy, in order to get this down to a real science, we have to get people the right dose and make it properly. And in the United States, if you take out stem cells from one's own body and you do something to it in a lab, which we do, all we do is grow them. But if you do this sort of growth process, it's considered drug manufacturing. That's how your cells end up becoming regulated as drugs. Uh, yeah. Okay. And it has more to do with safety than anything else. Okay. Safety to ensure that whatever we're doing in the lab is done properly, mm-hmm. done according to the right standards, yes. and that you know you can be rest assured that what's being given back to you is the right thing, and that somebody is regulating it. And that's a good thing. I think that's a very Absolutely. good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a very good thing. I spent a long time in my life. I'm sorry to my friends at FDA, but I, I spent a lot of time. arguing arguing about this, but you know, I, I recognize the, the problem in the overall um, space that we're in.
0: Yes. And you appreciate the protections and the reasoning behind it. However, it inhibits good things from happening, which is true with every law and every rule that it benefits more, but it certainly affects other things in a challenging way. Yeah. So we met you, I met you, uh, Mandy Kayo, who's a dear friend invited me to see the movie long haul. And I picked that you launched last October mm-hmm. and it was a movie about your patient's journey with long haul COVID and how you extracted their stem cells, grew them and gave them uh, five doses of stem cells and their journey through that. And it brought me to tears because We've been on a health journey with Bella, um, and I realized that she has a lot of the symptoms of long haul, and I thought, well, maybe this could be a help to her. And we are on her second round of stem cells, and um, we're very hopeful. We believe that she's seeing Uh, that she is feeling better. However, um, when you have a lot of pain in your body and fatigue and exhaustion um, and then stress adds to it, it's, it's a hard thing to tangibly measure for you guys. So kind of talk us through that, how you can equate success because success with pain
1: is a hard, marker. So in, um, yeah, in clinical trials, it's always a challenge. You know, the, I asked this question. Um, I had, It suddenly dawned on me the other day. What's worse, approving a drug that doesn't work or not approving a drug that does work. What's worse Oh, wow. Okay.
0: I think not approving a drug that does work.
1: Sort of like our our judicial system. You know, we're, we we're set up in a world where, well, our judicial system is supposed to be set up in a way where we protect people from inadvertently going to jail if they're innocent. Like, that's the worst case. What we're trying to do is to make yes. sure that the right people end up... In the right place right just like that it's um it's always a challenge when it comes to figuring out how a drug works and if it's efficacious or not that those are two very different things so it, for instance
0: It's so true. Like we just changed one of her medicines and she feels better with her migraine, but taking one medicine out made her feel worse. So we knew it was working only when we took it out Uh because that was measurable. Whereas you almost lapse in remembering.
1: Yeah. That's also very hard. Right. It's also very hard to remember for some patients remembering where you were beforehand is also in some diseases we've noticed is almost impossible. Parkinson's disease is notorious for that. Something called the nocebo effect. These patients think they're the same that day. That they don't. They don't really. They're not really tied to what happened in the past. So whether they feel better or whether they feel worse, they're always just not feeling good.
0: Ah. Oh, yes. Okay. That really resonates with me. And okay. that's what, where I feel yeah. like she is because hers is a connective tissue. So there's also fatigue and body pain that is tangibly difficult. Cause it's like, do you have a cough? No, I don't have a cough. Do you have body pain? Yes, I have body pain. Well, what level? Well, I thought this was a 10, but then I know that a 10 is different. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So in clinical trials, some innovative ways that people have... Well, first, the the whole field of clinical trials hasn't really evolved much over time. It's sort of still... We still have the same measures of scale that we've had in the past, but pain, for example, um, especially like subjective pain, it's very hard when you're dealing with like one patient's perception of pain is very different from another person's perception of pain. And one thing we noticed in long COVID, um, that, um, us about those symptoms and because some people might wonder even what it is. It's across the board. First of all, long COVID looks different patient to patient. Everybody mm-hmm. has different symptoms. One mm-hmm. of the things that we required in our trial is you have to have a neurological symptom. There has to be mm-hmm. either brain fog, um, headaches, severe headaches. Mm-hmm. You have to either um, have loss of taste or smell. We know mm-hmm. that's a neurological symptom. Mm-hmm. So you have to have something like that. And, um, and when you come in for your baseline, essentially the way we are tracking these levels of symptoms is to, and some patients have them and some patients don't. So we Mm -hmm. have maybe a list of 12 symptoms. And from there, we're going to start capturing your baseline. And one of the ways scientists have sort of tried to get solve this subjective yes. part of this yes. is to call, uh, is to develop what's called a visual analog scale, which is a, a line that has no measurements on it. Okay. It's just a zero. It'll have zero to 10. And the patient just has to mark a line wherever wow. they are, where however they're feeling. So now it's not how do you feel from five, six, like, seven, like, eight. Yeah, yeah. they are. They literally just draw a line, and by doing so, they don't know what they did before because there's no number to memorize. You know, they're doing it simply by how they're feeling right now. And then what we do later on is we measure the distance, you know, the actual distance, um, between these lines. And then I that's how we that. start recording the data. Yeah. Wow. That's truly fascinating. Yeah. And then there's this
0: gastro side of it. There's sure. also these heart issues that people almost think they're having a heart attack and your heart is fine. Like you go, yeah. you go to a doctor and <clears throat> your heart's fine but you know you're not well. So talk a little bit about that part of it, the dysautonomia. Dysautonomia, so, uh, this, this POTS disease. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, these... POTS means your, your
1: uh, temperature. And isn't your blood regulated, pressure. And your blood pressure. And your blood pressure. is yes. just all, all over. over the place. Uh, that is a common symptom. It looked, at first when we were studying long COVID, it almost looked like an autoimmune disease. It does. It looks it like it. It does. And yeah. You think think it could be,
0: yes. And rheumatologists look at all this, has looked at all the symptoms and said,
1: no autoimmune. Well, you know, we study autoimmune disease a lot outside of long COVID. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at autoimmune disease, it can in terms of symptoms, if you have MS, it affects your muscles. If you have hearing loss, it's a autoimmune hearing loss issue. It can be... Your symptoms can be all across the board, right? But like uh, common allergies are autoimmune. So you could be just sneezing all the time. You see the symptoms are varied, but the cause is the same. You have your body attacking itself for no rhyme or reason. Now in long COVID, it almost appeared that way. It looked like that because you have some people saying they have gastrointestinal issues. You have Mm -hmm. some people saying they have brain issues. They have chronic fatigue. It looked like chronic fatigue syndrome for a lot of these patients too. So yes, very, um, very diverse. And then, um, and let's describe what dysautonomia is. Uh, dysautonomia is a, um, autoimmune condition where Mm -hmm. your, um, again, your body's attacking itself. The autonomic nervous
0: system isn't telling the parts of the body what What to do do. correctly. Mm -hmm. And so the thought is if you reset that with cells, Or with blood flow or with some medications that you could work through that. But there's
1: not anything proven. There's no defined cure for it. Yeah. For for instance, some people say diet can do it. Um, Yeah, we tried
0: low histamine, so Mm anti-inflammation, which is no dairy, no gluten, no sugar, no fun. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> and all of that to say it re- does help. And the reason it helps is because what you're trying to do by depriving the body of those sorts of things, you're, uh-huh. you're actually creating a non, um, inflammatory environment. You're trying to take out, by poking the bear. Every- you're not Poking the stomach when it hurts. Yes, you're not poking. Yeah, the heart. So you take away everything that you think might mm-hmm. cause, mm-hmm. Uh, like an inflammatory process, mm-hmm. and you're hoping that that does the trick. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it does alleviate. That's why you see a lot of autoimmune disease patients mm-hmm. drastically changing their health status with diet. It's uh, so interesting how many doctors say doc, diet doesn't have anything.
0: We had a, a nutritionist a couple of weeks ago, Brett, we were talking about that. It's like, okay, well, but when you change it, it affects how you feel. So clearly, that, yeah, that, very clearly. Again, yeah. it's what's a cure, what's a treatment, what's a way of life. So cells, the cells grow. How many cells do you
1: give at a time? So the uh, the way we do this is we take a single tablespoon of fat. And if I can advise, people. can I give you so, more? Yes, please. <laughs> How many people say that? Everyone can should Can you get- take more than a tablespoon <laughs> while you're in there? So thanks. <laughs> so we have people sending uh, buckets of fat over, but we only use a uh, tablespoon. <laughs> like, sorry, um, that gets thrown away. Yeah, we you know we have a standardized process. That's all we Uh need. Uh, And from that uh, tablespoon, so any child, it's safe enough, an easy procedure enough for any child or any Mm -hmm. adult to go through. And uh, we take a tablespoon of fat, it's brought to us, we're able to isolate just the mesenchymal stem cells from Uh that fat tissue. Mm -hmm. Now, I equate this process as you know going to get gold Uh, Mm -hmm. when you are looking for gold you no one asks you when when people bring gold into your shop here you don't ask them did you dig this from the ground or did you mine it from somewhere like where did this come from that doesn't it's not really important right right same thing like that our stem cells are found in almost every tissue of our body okay and sometimes scientists think oh well it came from fat it's fat it's it just does not sound terribly scientific but the the idea is fat is um fat protects us and so the stem cells that are inside our fat exist there to keep our fat there to protect our bodies so Mm -hmm. now all we're doing is removing them from that fat tissue Mm -hmm. and now they're not identified as fat uh Mm -hmm. uh, fats Cells or fat tissue in any way. They're um, mesenchymal stem cells that have been derived from fat, and from there we start isolating the healthy ones, and then we begin the growth process
0: at your lab in Sugarland.
1: In Sugarland, yeah. And so what we do is we create a master cell bank for each person that gives us their fat. So you mm-hmm. have a master cell bank. It's sort of like a yeast starter. Mm-hmm. When you need cells for treatment, we're going to go into your master cell bank, grab a vial, grow new cells. Cells, and by doing so, you get rid of all the cells that have died during the um, freezing process or anything. You get rid of everything, you start again, and you grow new cells. And then we're able to do that over a 1,000 times in your lifetime. So from a single tablespoon of fat, we can generate over a 1,000 doses of 200 million cells. That's our standardized dose that we have, um, that wow. we have produced. Yeah. So
0: how do you get to do this? in the U S what is different between what you're doing and what they're doing in other countries? Cause I know of people going to Costa Rica. And- sure. Yeah. You hear a lot, you know, a lot of yeah. celebrities uh, going overseas and they're not even for a sick. long time. It's more like the fountain of youth almost. <laughs> well, some people are using it.
1: So the way you have to think about it is, um, and I, I think there is, good reasoning in that okay in uh, when you look at a disease right mm-hmm. we look at it in terms of symptoms mm-hmm. when we when we in the medical community now decide that you have disease we diagnose you based on most of the time your symptoms and you don't walk into the hospital until you have symptoms anyway so we right. kind of meet right. up at that point at that juncture but what if you are addressing that disease and you've already had it for 10 years, not Absolutely. knowing you have it, right? Absolutely. So then it becomes a question of, when are we treating disease? Like we don't do this to our cars, right? Well, some of us do, but you, know, you don't wait until you're on the side of the road and right. you need to go, you, keep up you with your should maintenance, maintenance right? Yeah. But ironically, what does maintenance look like in today's world? You go to a doctor, They'll ask right. you, hey, anything wrong? Let's management. get some routine blood tests and that's it. But maintenance, when you're talking about cars, which is since we're on topic of cars, you yes. change your fluid, they do yada, 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 right? They do A, B, and C. We should also have that because we're not doing anything to help our bodies. We're simply diagnosing the problem. So exercise, food, but this is so different. This is on the cellular level. level. Because clearly you know that degeneration has occurred. You've spent... By the time you go in for your first tune-up, you are or have already degenerated this long. Mm-hmm. So that means you should also now get to a point where we're giving you cells according to, well, you're at probably high risk for, you know, you've had high blood pressure. So you're at high risk for this yes. and this and this. And this is what we what we should be getting in the future. I think that's where it'll go. So I worked with Sydenham
0: clinic and I had my DNA looked up for markers that would show things that I might be genetically more predisposed to getting. And I know that people do that most significantly with cancer, with the, forget what it's called, the gene where if there's generations of women that have it, I guess men too, they can have the gene to say they're more predisposed to breast cancer. Breast cancer sure. Yes, for is sure.
1: Is or something? Yeah, the BRCA gene is one
0: of them. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So do you have people coming to you in anticipation
1: for that or is, is that in the future? So it's a, it's a great question. You know, we, um, I remember one of our first projects we were working on was Huntington's disease and that's a horrible disease. Tell by us the about way. that. Huntington's is a, a a neurological disorder but it's uh, genetic and if it's in your it, it's just a horrific uh, mm-hmm. condition uh, in terms of symptoms later and and they they suffer for, it, it can vary if it's fast moving, it can be a couple of years, but, um, yeah, the prognosis is not good. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a devastating, like condition. a degenerative
0: muscular
1: bone, almost like Lou Gehrig's or is that the, it, it's worse. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, okay. It's worse. Yeah. And I, I remember talking to families, uh, with Huntington's and okay. they would be terrified to even get tested. Right. Because so is my life over? And
0: then exactly. and then do you take the stress on that you manifest it? Exactly.
1: Well, I don't think you really can in you this don't condition. Mani- but, but you yeah. could have
0: the stress. I mean, there is that belief when you live a very stressful life that you can have heart- more heart issues and then you don't sleep. And then oh, the yes, sleep yes. deprivation can cause. So there are more side effects to what
1: you put your body through due to what your mind chooses of to course. focus on. And if I were in that situation, I wouldn't want to be tested either. I'd why, why live with that stress? But Agreed. of course it's stressful either way. Cause you're, yes, you're cause living day to day. And then yeah. do you marry someone and you can't have a child? Exactly. You don't want to have a child. And so they're contemplating, yes. do we even have children or should right. we adopt? Because we don't want to get tested. Yes. Okay. So I totally understand the problem. And, um, It's tragic because without a solution, then testing becomes sort of, what is the use of having these diagnostics when people aren't going to take advantage of them? So someone had once told me that in Mm -hmm. cancer too, Mm -hmm. let's say we had diagnostics to tell us that we had stage zero or one cancer. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, right. That's great. Like, oh, okay, then we would know. Right. But then what's the solution? Do you give chemo, Prescribe chemo to somebody at a, at that early, early stage? Most of the time, not. Why? Because chemo is just as toxic.
0: Oh, right? yes.
1: Because so, the effect of the chemo, chemo on the body. Right. So it's, a, it's this fine balance. Absolutely. You want to diagnose a disease sort of at the right time where you want to make it treatable. So sometimes this is your dilemma. Right. This is a dilemma. Right. And and information
0: sometimes is not always productive. And I almost think of that as I understand um different people making choices that are right to, for them for the right to the life and for me it was hard to even decide to go in and have Bella tested to know if she was going to be a viable pregnancy because I didn't want to make the choice to abort her even if she was so what what's the point of it? it's that kind of thing like if you aren't going to use the information then you're prepared for and then the anxiety you have and it's just all
1: it's all, you know. There was a company we met with a couple of years ago, uh, and we, we still work with them today. But they have this app that can accurately tell you whether you will have Alzheimer's disease in eight years. What exactly eight years? Eight to ten years is like they're saying that gap. They, they but you have they to know, be closer. Okay. They know that if you take this ten-minute iPad test that with the power of AI and like 300 different variables, they can tell you without a doubt that you're gonna have Alzheimer's disease in eight, eight years. Now, when when I, when I first saw it, it's just fascinating, right? The, yes. the fact that technology has gone to a point, I'm a technology wow. buff, just love it, and so excited about the, the way this is gonna change how we diagnose disease. But then same issue wow. occurs then. Do you really want to live Knowing that in eight years, you're going to, your mind is going to fall apart, right? That is a, that's a scary, uh, um, I think so. we lost Rob's dad to
0: sarcoma Mm -hmm. and we thought that by him going through the treatment that he could potentially get better. But really the treatment was so bad. Had he not taken the treatment and have we traveled the world as a family and he been able to drink and eat, you know, in hindsight, you could look, so There's sometimes, but we weren't ready for that. When you have all the knowledge and you've lived Mm -hmm. it, then you can go back and reverse it. But at that time to say, you accept he's going to die and just live what you have wasn't an option. Yeah. So we think we know, Mm -hmm. but until you're there, you don't know. Yeah.
1: In so we can,
0: yeah, yeah, we can all come up with these ideas. But are you able to give stem cells to someone with stage one cancer? Could someone come to you and ask for that now? Is there a way they could get stem cells from you?
1: No. In the United States, the only way to be able to have access to cells is through a clinical trial. If we had a clinical trial for early stage cancer, then we can definitely do it, which we are going to be doing soon. Oh, fabulous. Um, so, so, this is a, actually a good the, yeah, so, the segue so, to how do you pick what you're going to do. Oh well, segue to a potential solution. It's sort of an aha moment to the oh, era, to the to the moment that we're in, which is we don't want to find out about disease too early because no one wants to live with that stress, right. right? Especially in diseases where there's nothing that you can really do yes. about it. huh But what if there is something that you could do about it and there were no side effects? harmful side effects exactly if chemo weren't harmful then, of then course why you would not treat do it, it. Yeah. of course you would treat it at stage it zero or one exactly. yeah right so that's the problem the problem is the drugs that we use to treat ourselves are often come with a risk and benefit so if we can eliminate that risk wow and run with the benefit then you actually have the potential for every diagnostic think about all the money that would pour into diagnostics We would know things. We would have so much more power with our own health. is there this
0: also conspiracy theorist that drug companies don't want this to happen? That drug companies
1: want us to be sick so that they (laughs) keep pushing drugs? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Is there some conspiracy hey. theory out there that says it? I bet there is. I've never even Googled it, but it just seems like. Is it a conspiracy like, theory? I know. <laughs> is, is, it it is it real? No. I mean, but wow. Like people say, oh, um, oncologists want you to have cancer. So they have a job. I'm like, I don't know. I've been with people that have cancer and I've never met an oncologist
1: that I think wants them <laughs> to be sick. So I don't know. At, at the same time, I can tell you that. um after having spoken to a, a very prominent cancer research hospital that um, treatment is the focus. That right. prevention is not something that they're interested in. And so that is uh, an alarming a wake up call and a very yes. alarming situation as to a lot of the people in the healthcare industry talk about are Broken healthcare system. And as citizens, like, it, yeah, if I, I'm not even looking at the field, just me it, as, as a mom, I'm taking my right. kids in for checkups and things, I look at it. And yeah, we all suffer from this backward system that we're in, and we all complain about it. But what is the solution? And so the solution is to know about disease earlier. We should be treating things far earlier than we are right now. Absolutely. We shouldn't be dealing... Right now in clinical trials, yes, we unfortunately have to deal with disease in the states that we know it in right now, because that's step number one. We have to Mm -hmm. prove that we can help disease before we can have this conversation about when is it appropriate to treat disease. And we have to kind of move that needle back. But you know, we, we think that the way to do this is to develop therapies that have no harm and they can be done. No harm, just benefit. And we treat these things earlier. Wow. diagnostic. And so Bella came in the Right to Try category. Can you explain that a little bit? So Right to Try is a federal program that um, was passed in 2019. It's a law that allows uh, patients that have life threatening, very serious conditions to have access to investigational drugs, so, drugs that are mm-hmm. not approved yet. Uh, but that have met certain requirements uh, that they've passed phase one clinical trials that they're sort of in development and those drugs are available to patients so long as their physicians certify them as um, qualified to receive the treatment. And most often, it's patients that have exhausted every Mm -hmm. um, treatment pathway, they have there they have no other solution uh-huh. um, you know for a long time our company struggled with this law we struggled with how to implement such a law uh-huh. none of us are we are we are biologists like we we know cells really well uh-huh. it, it is for understanding every disease, every complex, case, it's, it's overwhelming, right? It's it's hard yes. to know, you know, what, um, what sort of indications we should study or open it up to. And, and finally, we, um, after three years of like deliberating on how to make it available, you know, we have one of the largest expanded access, which is FDA uh, for, for even until now, we, mm-hmm. we have, um, for individuals that fall under the same category, we mm-hmm. would do uh, file essentially clinical trials for a single person. Mm-hmm. So if this was. Uh, if a patient came in who exhausted everything, couldn't qualify for a trial, let's say they're older, let's say they're 85 years old. We Mm -hmm. had an 85 year old with a spinal cord injury, just as an example. He would never qualify for a trial. There is no such a trial for someone like that. And he had a stroke in the past. He's already high risk. So in that instance, we would file, we file, um, an individual expanded access and get that through FDA and they would clear it. And which so, takes how long? Which takes uh, at least a year. Um, yeah. The amount of documentation, which but is literally requires. this much yes. for an individual or a group, is the same. But yes. that time is a problem, right? He's
0: 85. <laughs> he doesn't have, <laughs> have a time. year. Yeah, but, you know,
1: it, it was sort of the way we did it until I recognized that there, there are... Patients that we are um, essentially closing off access to that would actually be probably really benefit, and so that's why Absolutely. the right to try was really it's really on a case by case basis, mm-hmm. and we um, yeah, and uh, you know physicians are uh, work work with us and taught and tell us about these cases, and we sort of are sort of navigating this uncharted path right now but hopefully what what we're able to do like we do with Expanded Access is through these cases we learn. Uh, we learn. We, we don't know what the expected outcomes are going to be. They're all against very different sorts of patients and we're mm-hmm. learning and by learning, we can then use that information to engineer trials. Now remember, I, I go back to the question I asked you, the worst case scenario mm. is not approving a drug that works, right? Yes. What if inadvertently we learned that, oh, it works really well for this particular instance then it may lead to a trial that could open it up for an entire population of people. So that's what we're
0: hoping for. And I find that so few people have a singular problem. Oh yeah. That there's so many problems. And what I love the way you explained it, because my first experience with stem stem cells was going to a doctor that took someone else's stem cells and gave it to Rob and his knee because his knee hurt. But what you do is take your own stem cells, grow them, and then intravenously give them to you because that way they can go do the work
1: where the work is needed. Can you explain a little bit more about that? So your body right now has stem cells in circulation. Right. yeah so just like that cut example they right. travel through the bloodstream yes. and they get to that area so what yes. we're trying to do is give it back in your bloodstream so that your cells can also go find the problem and that's what they do they they naturally navigate to the problem Wait, go a, cells it's called the paracrine effect and it's amazing yes. it, that's your body's own and your body does it better I give a good example of this. The body knows because the. oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. A good example. We um, we did a trial a very long time ago where we took um, mice and we cut their femoral arteries, which are mm-hmm. right in their feet, in their legs. We'd cut them and then uh, we'd give them cells directly where we cut them, hoping that it would come back together. Or we would give it in the tail, which is no different than an IV. Mm-hmm. Which group do you think did better? Only because you told me I know it's the tail. Yeah. Right? Isn't that amazing? It's shocking. At first I thought, well, that makes no sense. It wasn't even published because we said that makes no sense. It clearly, even if you gave it in the tail, the cells have to move all the way here. So, of course, injecting it directly into the foot is better. It's It's going to go right there. But this is proof that healing comes from inside
0: out. Wow. That's so interesting. And what I've also found is just with my silly little planter's fasciitis that I, that that then led to my hips hurting that then led to my back hurting. Sure. So oftentimes by the time you're going in for medical help, what hurts you the worst isn't the instigator of it anyway. It's something
1: completely different. Yes. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Right. our spinal so, spinal cord injury same thing you know you, yes the muscular atrophy that happens just from sitting all the time you know is a big problem it's muscular spasms you know all those issues yeah. We have a nonprofit research foundation called the Hope Biosciences mm-hmm. Research Fa- Foundation. We're housed in the same building uh, okay. as Hope Bio. So Hope Bio, uh, we make the cells and then uh-huh. uh, the foundation, uh, we also run trials, but the foundation does a lot of the expand- individual expanded access. They they help oh, okay. uh, manage all of the clinical programs that our cells are in. I think right now we've got 35 active protocols that are being managed over there. Oh wow! Uh, but their YouTube channel is great. They have... The long-haul COVID movie is there. Yes. Um, and basically, that's a clinical trial coming to life. Like, you can actually watch a trial happening uh, before your eyes. It's, it's really exciting. And follow
0: the individual journeys, journeys of the people as they go through.
1: It's truly Incredible, and it's not just anecdotal anymore. I think that's what the fun of what we're trying to do. We're we're trying to bridge this gap of right now. Science has always been in a manuscript form, like all the vaccine trials. All of that information are in papers, and unless you're a, unless you can read through this information, it's very hard to digest it. Right, uh, and so what happens is that lives in the scientific community, and then really no one has any access or no one really knows what is going on so what we're trying to do is we create that we still get the manuscripts published but there's also a video that can go along with that that can speak to an average person that they can actually see it and watch it and understand this was the protocol this is Mm -hmm. how patients were treated this is what we saw because this this at the ultimately at the end of the day will affect every one of us Whether you like it or not. And COVID made us
0: so much more aware of our health. And I mean, recently it came out that it was created in a lab and got out. Um, But we're not really talking about that as much. And I don't hear doctors talking about long haul. I mean, there's so few medical professionals that really...
1: Are diagnosing it and checking the box, and you know that's so sad because in cl- clinical trials you actually have to have a diagnosis. You know we'll screen over four hundred people for twenty slots into a trial and we can barely fill it because nobody has long COVID in their records. Yeah, and without that, we can't you can't recruit.
0: And it's hard because like connective tissue dysautonomia wasn't. I mean, I think dysautonomia just was added to an insurance form recently that doctors could even check within the last calendar year. So it's just fascinating that we live in a city with so much access that we have so many doctors. I live in West Juliet; my whole street is doctors, with the best of intentions. With so, but there's still so much to learn and share and discuss and
1: question and move through it is and and there's a big gap there's a big gap between um like what is accurate information versus non-accurate information or misinformation whatever you want to call it i think forever we're all now
0: with the side effects of the vaccine and wasn't this one of the first vaccine
1: that didn't really prevent you from getting it. I mean, so they, they, they came out recently saying that it did not um, change your transmission ability, which is anyway, that the the whole idea, everyone should walk away more humble. Yes. In, in that and it's not to know. say, we don't need we, to
0: say, we don't, we don't need to condemn anyone. It, th- that's not the point. The point is we have to question, question yeah, what we're doing and how we're doing it and how we move forward and not go back. I, I'm not, I don't even care that anyone's punished. I just care that we say, how did this happen? And how do we move forward from here? What questions do we need to ask ourselves from here
1: forward Right to right. not, go through this health crisis again. So to be open to digesting information, to be open to hearing um, and reading and, and learning about new, just not only new technologies, but even... You know, for instance, talk like natural, if natural immunity is good, how does one increase that? For example, Mm -hmm. maybe having a conversation about that, just being more open to uh, different perspectives, I think will make us better. Absolutely. Well, uh, we could talk for
0: hours and hours, days, days. (laughs) Um, It's truly opened my eyes to so much. It's. It's the one thing I could say to anyone listening is as, um, a mother, when I had Bella, she was triple wrapped and I felt there was a change in my body and my PD, my, um, OBGYN at the time just kept telling me I was, um, anxious pregnant woman. And I thankfully went to the hospital and they had an emergency C-section and she was okay. But had I not listened to my body and advocated for myself, something really tragic could have happened. And through this journey with her health, it being so unknown and uncertain from the time she was eight, she was telling me her body hurt and that, and I would say it was growing pains and and it was anxiety and mm-hmm. like to really, we fight as women, as minorities, as the world to be heard, no matter what race you are, what religion you, you wanna be heard and seen. And I fight for that. And I wasn't listening to my daughter As well as I should have. So I just encourage you to listen to your body, to listen to your family and to advocate because doctors do the best they can, but they don't always know. Uh, and they don't know, and they definitely don't know a lot about stem cells. So if no, you're... and no doctor recommended that, I just kept fighting, and I was a mother that just kept looking for solutions, and and I was careful about who I shared with, because then you also get a lot of <laughs> unsolicited advice, and everyone's journey is different. But um, keep fighting, and keep trying, and keep learning, and there's never a downfall to growing what you know and what you can do as a community. And I'm so happy I could share. I've shared it with so many people who I believe could potentially feel a lot of results through what you're doing. And I um, feel so grateful for the opportunity that you're here and so close to us and we have access to you and can't wait to share um, the success story we achieve
1: okay yeah, well yes i'm looking forward <laughs> We're putting to it, it in the universe i was
0: looking forward to it thank you for having me this was so much fun okay to yeah. be continued yes. guys keep living the authentic life and keep fighting for what you believe in